You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbury. I'm a senior practice management advisor at the bar and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our offices in Tallahassee, Florida. Our goal is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. Here at the Practice Resource Center, we frequently get calls from lawyers who are thinking about starting their own firms, and we try to always remind them that they will actually be doing two jobs, practicing law while running a small business. And back when I was a law firm administrator, in the early days, I ran payroll, I transmitted payments to the IRS, I issued the W-2s to all the employees. Later on, I joined a medium-sized firm and they were using a payroll service that also handled the firm's retirement accounts and health insurance. And the amount of work that was shifted to this outside company was a revelation to me and a huge relief. So joining me today to discuss why law firms should consider outsourcing some or all All of their human resource functions is Amy Remington. Amy is the Chief Legal Officer for Transport Leasing Contract Incorporated of the TLC companies. It's a 57,000 worksite employee professional employer organization. Prior to this, she was general counsel for 15 years at a professional HR organization where she advised businesses on employment-related legal issues. She's a regular speaker at national and statewide events discussing employment law, including Title VII, Civil Rights Act, the Family Medical Leave Act, the Fair Labor Standards Act, the National Labor Relations Act, and the Americans with Disabilities Act, as well as the state counterparts to these laws. Amy was a partner at the law firm of Bozeman, Jenkins, and Matthews in Pensacola, where she represented employers, management, and the state of Florida in all types of employment-related matters. While at the firm, Amy focused on policy creation, prevention of discrimination and harassment, and management education and training, as well as employment litigation, including trial and appeal work. Amy serves on the National Association of Professional Employer Organizations Legal Advisory Committee and on the Florida Association of Professional Employer Organizations Board of Directors. She has published articles in the PEO Insider Magazine and in NAPIO's Legal Updates and Legal Insights. Amy graduated cum laude with a Bachelor of Arts from the Honors Program of Florida State University and earned her JD with Honors from Florida State University College of Law. Welcome to the show, Amy Remington. Thank you. Good morning. So can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and what led you to the work that you do? So sure. So um, as you mentioned, I was with a firm called Bozeman Jenkins and Matthews for many years here in Pensacola, and it was a wonderful, wonderful firm. And the um, attorney that I worked with, Tom Jenkins, was an amazing mentor. And he um, did a lot of traditional insurance defense type of work. And at one point, he had an insurance defense claim that was a sexual harassment claim. And he asked me if I wanted to back him up on that. And so I started learning about sexual harassment and doing a lot of research and learning about Title VII. And it just became it just became the area that I really connected with in terms of um, helping businesses do the right thing by their employees 
helping employees understand their rights and their responsibilities in the workplace. And I just learned a lot about civil rights and Title VII and about workplace equity. And it just really, really spoke to me. And so I think after that, I don't recall handling any other type of claim or matter after that. Instead, my shift became entirely um, representing employers or employees in kind of, in management matters or um, employee dispute matters um, and, and everything with an eye towards teaching the employer what was right and legal and teaching the employee what their rights and their responsibilities were in the workplace. And so it just, it, it, thanks to Tom Jenkins, he just put me on this path and um, led me to this career that I've done for well over, well, gosh, a long time, I'll just say that, <laughs> a very long time. But it's, it's, you know, I believe in civil rights to my core. I, it, it's, um, it's just been a wonderful career. It's something I can really, really believe in on a day-to-day basis. That's excellent. And I'm thrilled that we're doing this. And I'm surprised that we haven't talked to um, someone about PEOs before. I think for a lot of people, that's going to be a brand new term. But it goes to the core of what we try to help Florida Bar members do is to um, make their, if they're practicing law, we want them to have the business side of it run very smoothly and do everything they can um, to, you know, so that they aren't distracted by that. Anything we can do to alleviate that through technology. But I also think many solo and small firm owners go in and then they're very surprised by how much time they are spending doing all this administrative work, especially as their firm grows. And many small firms who have support staff Uh, may already be using a payroll service, like maybe their accountant does that on the side kind of thing, but they probably have never heard of a professional employer service. So let's talk about what exactly is a PEO. So PEO stands for Professional Employer Organization. Um, And under the Florida statutes, it's called Employee Leasing Services. And that's kind of the old-fashioned name. But the modern name is a Professional Employer Organization. And what makes a PEO unique is that if you, if any business does business with a PEO, you have a written client service agreement that outlines um, responsibilities of the PEO and responsibilities of the client, which is the employer. And um, under the Florida statutes, the PEO has to retain but can allocate back certain rights. For example, the right to hire and fire Um, The PEO maintains a responsibility to pay the wages to the employees. The PEO retains a responsibility to make the tax payments to the IRS or to the state government um, as may be appropriate. And um, the PEO can offer advice, but does not take over the day-to-day operations of the business. So if you have an HR issue, for example, um, the PEO can provide assistance, but at the end of the day, the employer, the law firm, the client maintains control of their business. So what we've always said is it lets the employer get back to doing what they do best, which is, um, in this case, practicing law, while letting the PEO handle the administrative things that can be a bit of a headache and inadvertently lead to problems. So the PEO would do tax filings and would handle W-2s at the end of the year um, and, and all sorts of administration administrative things, including for example, uh, providing workers' comp and things like that. But at the end of the day, the client still makes all of the fundamental decisions about its business. So the PEO does not run the client's business. The client still controls that. 
but the PEO kind of takes the headaches away, the, the running the business part. And that would be true whether the client were a dental office or a dry cleaner or a car sales company or a real estate office or a law firm. So okay. all of the administrative parts about running a business is what the PEO takes over. So you mentioned some of the things that you can outsource to them. And I had recently read an article where Big Law had, some of them had decided to completely outsource all of their HR department. And this surprised me. They would keep one internal person to be the liaison to the PEO. But if you are a smaller firm, can you pick and choose um, certain parts of what you want to outsource? That's a very good question. The answer depends on the PEO. Many PEOs allow you to do an a la carte menu where maybe um, this wouldn't happen necessarily in law firms, but if you were in a high risk business like a roofing company, the PEO would say, well, we'll do everything except your workers comp. And then you would maintain your comp. Or maybe you make that choice because you have a great comp rate and the PEO doesn't for some reason. Um, so that would be one thing that could be a la carte. Um, other risk management services could be a la carte. The other thing that might be a la carte is different types of HR services, traditional HR services. So, for example, some PEOs, as part of their standard service, will help you respond to employee complaints or charges of discrimination filed by with the state or the federal agency. Um, other PEOs will require that you send that to counsel. And I don't think one's better than the other. I just think it's a different type of service. Um, other PEOs will say, well, gosh, you can have X number of human resource advice hours per year or per month. And others say it's all rolled into your client service agreement. So a lot of PEOs have a la carte menus where you can say, well, I want A and not B. And then they price that accordingly. But that lets you determine what's best for your business. And then there's another model entirely called ASO, which is administrative services only. And that's similar to a PEO, but it differs in that if you're with a PEO, your employees become the PEO employees. And for example, the PEO would issue the W-2. So you, okay. they would have, um, it's called co-employment, not joint employment. It'd be two employers um, belonging to one employee. Okay. But under ASO model, what's happening is the PEO is doing all of the administrative services, but not as a PEO, but at the there's only one W-2 employer and that's the client. So they're more like an outsourcing company. They're processing the payroll um, and things like that, but they cannot offer you things like um, group health and group life or 401k services because those are unique to employers. And that's another thing that might be a la carte for a PEO is if you want a 401k, if you want mm -hmm. group health, if you want vision, short-term disability, long-term disability, dental, um, different PEOs have different menus and some allow you to select, some allow you to group, and some say, well, you have to do all of these different things. So really there's a lot of different models out there, but every company can find one that works best for them, regardless of what kind of industry vertical they might be in. Okay. And at the beginning of your answer, you you mentioned price, which is huge if you have a, a small firm. And I think that so many small firm owners are going to say, I don't want to even hear about this. It's so expensive. Let's talk about the ways either an ASO or a PO can save them money. Because when I was at this mid-sized firm in Pensacola, um, the reason that we outsourced 
payroll was really because we were getting such good rates on health and dental. And they hired, they, they handled all of the firms matching for the retirement accounts, which, which was a huge deal because that makes you more competitive when you're trying to hire people. So what kind of, I mean, are they looking at real savings? I know I did the pricing. It was a long time ago, but is that one of the things that you will say to a firm that's considering this? I, I do. I, in good faith, I can say that I think the pricing generally works. Um, be, and, and the pricing can be done on a per month basis. It can be on a per head basis. Um, and like, you know, a lot of things is probably negotiable, right? But by the time that you consider the fact that you can offer a group health plan and you do have the PEO has the power buying to get a really strong 401k and a great dental plan and four different health options and a, in different rates that might meet different people's needs. If you just look at hiring and retention alone, those are the things that make employment sticky, right? I have one dear friend who loves her job, but she says that one of the reasons she'll never leave is because she's got amazing health care for her family. And um, that's, that's a really big thing that makes things sticky, which in turn reduces turnover costs, of course. But, but the overall cost, when you take into the to the consideration that the amount of time your bookkeeper or your CPA has to spend because all the reports come straight from the PEO, so that time is reduced. When you take into the account that the PEO can work as much or as little with your existing human resource department or even replace a human resource department, that can save money. And then when you talk about the power buying of larger health plans or power buying of comp, it can definitely be a savings for any any kind of business. Um, but really part of the savings comes in the fact that if you are a traditional law firm and you're spending time reconciling W-2s or um, looking at FICA food of Suda, um, that's <laughs> money out of your pocket, Right. But if that you, you could be billing, phone, yes. You should be billing, right. <laughs> but if you can pick up the phone and call your PEO and say, hey, I need this report, or better yet, here's a system that can let me generate this report on my own, you know, that saved time translates into saved money. Absolutely. Okay, so the other issue that comes up in the small firms is, do you have to have a minimum number of employees for a firm to engage a PEO? Are there different levels of that? Because I've seen um, something I read mentioned five uh, meaning the owner and you know who the support staff if there's another attorney. But uh, what are the rules about about how large you have to be? Um, there's no hard and fast rule. It depends okay. on the services you want. There are some healthcare plans that say we won't underwrite for employees less than five, um, but it really is dependent upon the PEO, and that's another good reason to shop around and see which is the best fit for you. Because as I said, the pricing can sometimes be per head, per month. Other times it's one flat price. There's no hard and fast rule about that. But sometimes getting the health care is dictated by the number of employees that a client has. Okay. And I want to talk about the parts of HR that attorneys really hate. And I, I think a lot of employers do. Can you have the PEO handle, uh, you mentioned recruitment and hiring, but what if it's not working out? Will a PEO terminate an employee that that you've that's not working? Sure. So an uh, PEO doesn't really handle recruitment. Okay. No, I, there, I guess there, 
probably are some models that might do that for you, but that would generally be kind of a different service. But terminations, it just depends on the PEO model. Um, I know some PEOs that will send one of their HR staff out to an organization to help you with the termination, and they may even do the communication to the employee. But again, that decision is made by the client. And then there are other PEOs that are more focused on, for example, technology and less focused on the handholding day-to-day advice. So it just depends on which model you're going with. Okay. And some of the things that uh, we've already talked about, a lot of small firms I know don't offer any benefits like a big big firm. So it's very hard to recruit. Or I mean, I guess if you're in a small town, I think people almost expect that and they try to just increase the pay or give them paid time off. And so if you have a PEO, obviously you're probably going to be able to offer more things like that, but you talk about the technology. So I think about when someone, if you have 25 staff members, mid-sized firm, and they're constantly coming to you and saying, do you know how much is in my 401k? Do I have leave time? So Talk about the time saved, like if you have the technology component where the employees can, can they log in themselves and see all those things? Absolutely. There are a lot of different platforms, of course, that a PEO can use for payroll, for timekeeping, for 401k type of reconciliation. But for example, the platform that I'm familiar with is one where an employee can log in and they can look at how much pay time off they have used in the year how much paid time off they have in the bank, what their 401k balance is, what their vesting schedule is, um, whether they they can reallocate all of that online. They can look at how much they paid on FICA Fudasuda. They can change their withholding amount online. Um, Even the timekeeping system, they log in, they log out uh, each day for a non-exempt employee. They log in, log out online. Um, there's just almost nothing that can't be done through technology that is more efficient than having your office manager. Um, you know, it's funny you ask that question because one of my first jobs out of college before law school, I worked for a law firm and every, I, I was in the administration department and every two weeks I would go through people's paychecks and I would say, Christine has 0.3 hours to her PTO balance added Therefore, her new balance is 10 hours, or I'd say Christine took eight hours off. So her new balance is plus three minus eight, which is, and so I did that on paper. I had a big notebook <laughs> and, you know, there's none of that anymore, thankfully. Right, right. Um, but, but there are some different PEOs that have uh, platforms that are more user-friendly. There are some platforms that are created by third-party providers, and there are some PEOs, particularly the larger ones, that create their own platforms. So before a client goes with a PEO, um, they may really want to say, hey, I'd like to see a demo of your platform. I'd like to see what it really looks like and how easy is it going to be for my employees to navigate? Um, Because some of them can feel a little bit clumsy and some of them are just really, really smooth. Um, But just like, you know, technology on most things, there's almost nothing that can't be done through technology to make the client's life a lot easier and to make record keeping and retention a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. The user interface is so important. And then also having real time data, because by the time you would go to the administrator and say, can you pull this report? It's really out of date by the time you get it back. So I I think that that's a wonderful, it's a 
leap forward, I think it improves the employee's experience too at the firm that they they feel in control of those things. Um, so labor law is very complicated. So here's one of the things that pops up um, when I was thinking about this. If you have outsourced to a PEO, will they handle all of these weird requirements, the regulatory stuff like, and this is one of the funny things that popped up to me, I can picture this in my head from the firm, updating the labor law posters. There was always a woman with a cast on her arm. Are you going to mail me the posters that I have to put in my break area so that I'm compliant? There is still the same poster. She still has a cast on. I mean, bless her heart. She must have been in that cast for 20 years now. And there are a lot of other posters that look like 1980s that that you still have to have. The federal things, the child labor things, uh, the Florida-specific ones. And again, that depends on the PEO. Um, I I know that some PEOs use a third-party service, and it's really, really slick. The way the third-party service does is they get, for workplaces that have real work sites, they will literally mail a tube with all of those uh, posters in it. And then the PEO gets the bill for, you know, $7 or $10 per client or whatever it is to get those. Um, But then the interesting thing is because of COVID, they had to shift the way that they were communicating because of course you have to provide these notifications to employees, wherever the employees are. And so if you've got a hundred people who are working remote, it's a totally, you can't just mail the tube any longer, Right. Right. So some of these third-party providers, what they'll do is they'll take the email addresses and they will email all the postings to the employee. So the employee has them in their inbox. Um, but then as another layer, what you know, what, what I think is a good idea is um, to put it on your intranet or your internet, however employees access information. You know, there ought to be a line item that says, you know, federal poster child labor laws, whatever, so they can click on that. And those are always maintained in real time because the last thing you want is for an employee to say, I didn't know how to report a worker's comp injury. I didn't know how to report harassment or discrimination. I didn't know how to report um, a child labor law violation or a wage and hour violation. Instead, you know, if you're ever sued for that, whether you're the client or the um, PEO, you want to be able to say, okay, we mailed it to your work site. We emailed it to our remote workers and it's constantly and real time updated on our intranet or our internet, whatever the access is. Um, but, but postings are a real headache, but something that's very, very necessary. And PEOs do a really good job of ensuring that they're um, updated. And the, but the worst state in the nation for that is California because they have I, I'm not kidding. I, I outlined one time like 54 different postings <laughs> that you have to have. And of course, San Bernardino looks different than San Francisco looks different than uh, San Bernardino. Yeah. Um, but in Florida, you're pretty much, you want the Florida poster, the workers' comp poster, the child labor law posters, and the federal posters. Perfect. And PEOs can definitely help you make sure that you have those up to date. Oh, and then the wage and hour posters, the yes. um, minimum wage posters. Yeah. But PEOs do a very good job either internally or through third-party vendors of getting that information so that you will not, if you have a DOL inspection, mm-hmm. um, surprise visit, so that you're in compliance. And I want to note, we're doing it right at the Florida Bar because we kind of have a blend of employees right now. So you can see those posters in our break areas, but you're right. It's on the intranet. It's the first thing you see when you open up our intranet. Um 
but I, and you can get combo posters. There's whole businesses where you just order these posters. And a lot of, when I was at different firms, the attorneys were like, and it's funny to me because they're practicing law and I'm like, this is really serious. And they're like, no, it's not. That's not a big deal. I'm like, we're getting the poster today. So it does it is matter. Very <laughs> it is, it is, you know, if you're ordering on, on your own and you're not with a PEO and you just go to one of these companies and you have mm-hmm. to spend $50 a year, it's $50 well spent. Yes. Okay, let's talk about some other um, kind of sensitive things that go on in uh, with employment law. If you're using a PEO and you have, you know, like multiple partners and associates, uh, if a employee has a sexual harassment claim, how does that get handled with a PEO? Because you know, the attorney, the the owners of the firm are paying the PO. The employer, the employee has the complaint. Where do they get in? What, what's their role there? Okay, so now you are definitely in my bailiwick. This is, but I, this is what I love. This is what I thrive on. Again, it depends on the model. Okay. If a client has a sexual harassment claim brought by one of its employees, the PEO, depending on the model they use, will be as involved or not involved as you would like. One model, for example, is that the PEO would send their human resource professional out to do an investigation if necessary, because of course, all claims must be investigated. And sometimes that requires in-person investigations. And today, of course, it can be done by Zoom or other means, but there has to be an investigation. And so if a client isn't comfortable doing that, which is very often the case if they don't have an HR department, the PEO can send their HR professional out there. And that's good because that's an unbiased person who doesn't know the players probably and can give a really unbiased opinion. And um, the goal of that person should always be to find out what happened, whether the allegations are credible, and if they are, to come up with a solution that is a win-win for both parties. Um, The solution is not always that somebody needs to be terminated. The solution can be that somebody needs to take a sensitivity class or a diversity class or a cultural awareness class or um, something like that. Um, Or it could be that they need to take a specific sexual harassment class or that they do need a reprimand or they need time off without pay or they need um, time off with pay out of their PTO bank. It doesn't always have to be the death penalty of losing your job. Um, but But the PEO, if they're providing HR services, should be able to help you through that so that the law firm can keep it as confidential as possible, of course, in keeping with the National Labor Relations um, Act's rule about confidentiality, but but keep it as uh, private as possible to respect the people who are involved, but coming up with a solution that is both fair and equitable to the person who's been harassed and the person who had the behavior that needs correcting. And that's just one example of how a PEO can really help any client, including a law firm, because if a law firm doesn't have a human resource department, say there are 10 people and they're all running as fast as they can, they may not have the time or the bandwidth to, or, the, or the expertise to do the investigation properly. And in a small law firm where everybody knows each other so well, there's it's almost impossible to get that unbiased opinion on, to, to get an objective view. And that's one thing a PEO can really bring to the table. I think one of the differences with small law firms is 
there's family members that start firms together. So how do you say to your dad or your uncle, hey, this is not cool, but you don't really know how to handle it and they just avoid it. Or it's best friends from law school and all the employees know that. So I like the sense of fairness and and it's been taken off the plate. Like, you know, it's got to be handled, but you don't want to do it. You just know that you're not the one to be doing it. So that's a huge, a huge thing. Um, well, and one of the, you know, one of the things we see, not frequently, I don't want to say that, but one of the things that, that happens sometimes in all businesses, not just law firms, is that the owner or the senior partner or manager, whoever it is, whoever's at the, at the top of the pyramid, sometimes engages in behavior that needs correcting. And the people who work directly for that person aren't necessarily comfortable saying your behavior is not okay. What you said was unkind, illegal, insensitive, or this, this, you know, this behavior is, is not acceptable. Um, so having a third party come in and say that can be really, it can provide an objective viewpoint. It can be helpful to the, to the person hearing it. Then there's no fear of retaliation or anything like that. Right. I think that's really, really important. And I think I always say that part of an HR uh, professional's job is to be able to give the good news and the bad news in an objective way. And, a, and an effective HR professional will not be afraid to say, um, Amy, your behavior was not acceptable. I know that you own this company, but you are going to get sued or, or your behavior was terrible and we need to make this right. We can't, you know, and lawyers have the same job, right? We can't be afraid to tell our clients the bad news. Right. And so if the if it's determined that what this person needs are some sort of corrective classes, does the PEO, can they connect them to that? Is it something that's offered through the PEO? How does that go? Great question. It depends on the PEO. Again, some, some PEOs have electronic platforms like video series. Some PEOs do in-person training classes. Sometimes it's the EEOC who requires it, right? Sometimes the EEOC says, I, I handled one matter where the EEOC said, this particular person must have 16 hours of training on this topic. And so um, the PEO put that together. And sometimes that can be part of the client service agreement, or sometimes that can be a la carte. It just depends on what the model is and what you think your needs are. And again, this is where I think it's really important that all clients interview PEOs, look at their platforms, look at their models, ask for client references who are in similar verticals, um, so a law firm, a criminal defense small law firm would w- want to say, how many other criminal defense small law firms do you have? And can you give me recommendations so I can talk to those types of, because a small criminal defense law firm may not have a whole lot in common with a hundred employee insurance defense law firm, yeah, right? absolutely. So um, I think those recommendations are really, really important. And then taking your time to explore the platforms um, to see what works best and what expertise each PEO has on staff. Okay. And I want to go down this road just a little bit farther. Um, I am the bar staff liaison for the Mental Health and Wellness of Florida Lawyers Committee here at the bar. And so we, I, I think everyone has seen the studies. There's substance abuse issues. There's depression issues. If you have a, a you know, a attorney at your firm who is struggling with those things, can a PEO help you out with that? handling that, talking to the person or connecting them? If you've got the health insurance, can they, you know what I mean? That becomes very touchy as well. A good PEO should have a benefits department that can help you navigate that 
issue because that is not an issue that's unique to law firms. Okay. Um, and one of the things that a client may want to interview the PEO about is what kind of EAP program might they have available. Um, some have for pay EAP programs. Some have EAP programs uh, where you get a certain number of visits for free for the employee. Um, others have EAP programs where you get a certain number of visits for free for any reason for the employee or for the family. Um, and I think EAP is absolutely a, a service that I wish every company in America offered it um, because I do think part of healthcare, a critical component of healthcare is mental wellness. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always have to put in a plug because I, I we're still trying to get the word out. The Florida Bar, at the beginning of the pandemic, we finally were able to implement a mental health helpline. So if you're a Florida Bar member or a Florida registered paralegal and you're listening to the CLE right now, that helpline is available to you and you get three in-person therapy sessions and they will find someone for you in your area. You can do it by telehealth. So I'm going to put that link up right below the podcast uh, just to, because I know so many small firms don't have EAPs. So that is a benefit from being a Florida Bar member. So those are some of the ways that a PEO is going to keep you out of trouble. But does it also generally reduce a firm's liability? A PEO can help you reduce a firm's liability if the PEO is used properly and where the law firm takes the good advice provided by the PEO. And I'll give you an example of that in a law firm setting. Um, paralegals are non-exempt employees. That is part of the Fair Labor Standards Act. That is black and white letter law. That is non-negotiable. Yet there are law firms that continue to pay their paralegals as exempt employees where they get a salary, where they don't track hours, and where they don't pay overtime. A good PEO should be able to tell you, um, as again, sometimes delivering the bad news, that your paralegal should be able to look at your employee roster and say, you've got the following four people listed as paralegals, and I notice that they're, they're exempt employees. We need to correct that. Um, so that, that's, that's really, really critical. That's one example of if a, if a client follows the PEO's good advice, you can reduce that kind of exposure. That's huge. That's the number one thing that I that I saw. And they were like, these are legal professionals. And I'm like, they are. That's great. I'm glad you respect them. Federally, you're going to pay them for all this overtime they're working. So, I mean, that... And, you know, and I've, I've had lunch with a friend that runs a firm. And he said, well, gosh, I pay my paralegals so much money. Um, they would never leave me and they would never sue me. Ooh. And so I'm just not... And I treat them like professionals and I hold them in high regard. And I said, well, I think that's, I think all that's wonderful. You should be paying them a lot. I think they're worth every <laughs> yes. penny. Um, but really that just means they have a really high overtime rate and they're working a lot of hours. So if you do get sued one day, you are going to lose and it'll be a big number at the end. And by the way, the law says you have to track the hours and it, because you haven't been doing that, um, you know, you won't have any way to prove what number of hours they worked, but with using a PEO's time tracking system, Ooh. as long as the client is actually tracking the time for real and the actual time worked, there should not be, first of all, the PEO should not allow those paralegals to be not to be exempt. But even if there was a dispute over whether they were exempt or non-exempt, 
the hours would be tracked. So if there ever was a lawsuit, the PEO should should be able to report unequivocally how many hours that person worked in a given work week for the entire length of their employment. That's great. The record keeping is very invaluable. Okay. So here's another thing. When I stepped into um, some law firms, I, you know, all the best practices that were taught in college and grad school, I found out very, it was kind of common that no employees had ever received a performance appraisal. They never sat down and said, here's what you're doing great. Here's what you, they would just kind of like had a feeling and they would give them a raise or not. And they didn't want to talk about it because they worked so closely with their support staff that they didn't want to go there. And what they've actually found, I mean, I I think anyone knows this, that um, humans need feedback. They like it. It's a source of reward, the good with the bad. Are there PEOs that will if they're not able to do the performance appraisal that like set up the system to make it simpler for the employer to do this on a regular basis? Yeah. So employment appraisals need to be done periodically. People do thrive on feedback. Um, People who don't receive feedback tend to think, well, they must not be doing a very good job. And certainly people who don't get increases in compensation might feel um, diminished And we don't want employees to feel that way. We want them to be productive and motivated. And so performance appraisals and compensation adjustments are ways to motivate people and send a clear message. One of the things that can be difficult for a law firm that doesn't have a dedicated HR department is consistency. Because maybe my my paralegal, for example, is uh, also a very dear friend and I might feel more generous um, with her or with him than the than my neighbors feels with um, his or her paralegal because they're you know they're only professionals and they're not they don't have a friendship and so if if there are inconsistent compensation adjustments given then it can lead to feelings of well gosh was this was my compensation adjustment different because I'm um, any of the protected classes, sex, color, race, religion, or national origin, marital status, age, handicap, disability, um, or veteran status, or whatever it is, or was it because of genuine work concerns? And where there's not consistent, objective performance appraisals, that can lead to an appearance of disparity. Um, So some PEOs do offer services such as having Um, the ability to send you a standard or create for you a standard performance appraisal for your business where those objective standards are created so that somebody who gets, say, for example, four points might get a 4% raise, but somebody who gets 3.8 points might get a 3.8% raise. But there's not this creation of a question about why did he or she get more or less than the other person. And that can save you with liability as well. So those those kind of performance appraisals are really, really important. And the other thing PEOs offer on a similar vein, um, they can offer is uh, the creation of job descriptions for different positions. Because an executive paralegal for a senior partner might have a very different job than a beginning paralegal for a junior partner. And, you know, like I said, if if you're running a criminal defense firm, that's going to look different than an insurance defense firm um, or a plaintiff's firm. And so the creation of job descriptions can help you with that objective continuity as well. And many PEOs will offer those kinds of service either as part of their client service agreement 
or as an a la carte item on the side. Um, but that's just, and, and same with ASO. ASO services maybe offer, ASO companies may offer those services as well. But I think that's why it's important to line up all the hundred questions you have and then go interview your PEO because it does take a long time for a client to onboard with a PEO. You have to give the PEO a lot of information. There's a lot of underwriting. Then there's a learning curve for the employees to learn the platforms. And so the last thing you want to do is get on board and then three months later say, gosh, I wish I had gone with this great big PEO instead of a smaller one, or I wish I'd gone with a smaller local one rather than this national one. Um, you want to find the right fit the first time because undoing the relationship can be time consuming. Okay. But are there PEOs out there who specialize in working with law firms, um, given the additional ethical issues and obligations that exist for lawyers? Like there's a lot of, um, in the duty to supervise those kind of things or just, you know, like the paralegal details. How do you, can you find PEOs that have a lot of clients that are law firms? So I, I can't think of any law firms that specialize in that particular area, but I will tell you that a great resource for finding the right PEO for you is the National Association of PEOs. It's called NAPEO. And so if you okay. go to napeo.com, there's a find a PEO site on there. And the PEOs that are members of NAPEO are those who are dedicated to learning. They are provided with very, very good industry education and you can sort by local PEOs or national PEOs or size. And so NAPIO's website is full of resources for businesses of all sizes and industries looking to establish a PEO relationship. So that would be a great place to start. And then for Florida specific, say your law firm is only in Florida, FAPEO, F-A-P-E-O, is also an amazing organization that can help pair you with strong PEOs. Um, that might suit individual needs. But both of those organizations are strong on education, uh, strong on membership credentials, and PEOs that belong to either or both of those can be great PEOs to work with. Okay. And I'll post the links to both of those organizations under our episode as well. In the pre, I want to make sure we talk about this. What you and I got to chat a little before uh, we recorded. Can you talk about more about the Florida statutes that affect what a PEO is permitted to do for Florida firms since our listeners are our Florida attorneys? Sure, sure, sure. So the Florida statute on PEOs is very, very specific. And it's, it can be a little confusing because the Florida statute says, that a PEO retains the right to hire and fire and make day-to-day decisions. But it also then says the PEO can allocate those rights back. And so the Florida Administrative Code, Section 61.7, allocates those rights back to the client. And again, that's relevant because a lot of businesses say, well, gosh, I don't want to use a PEO because I don't want to give up my day-to-day control. I still want to decide who to hire. I want to decide when to fire. I want to decide what pay to set um, and what my pay schedule is going to be and whether to pay bonuses or commissions. And so um, the Florida statute allows the PEO to do all of that, but allocates that right back to the client. So the client really does retain the right to run its business um, and allow the PEO to handle only the administrative tasks. Okay, excellent. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you, Amy Remington, for joining us today. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. 
If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank <laughs> you.